Welcome to this podcast featuring Amir Sarfati, founder and president of Behold Israel. Behold Israel provides reliable and accurate reporting on developments in Israel and the region. Amir's live updates and teachings are based on God's written word. Connect with Behold Israel on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Download our free app, available in Android and Apple, under Behold Israel. The title of the message, The Prophetic Changes in the Middle East, and I believe that in the last few days we're witnessing even one more change added to the pile of all the others. And the Middle East, of course, is in the center of world events and activity. And uh, remember, 95% of Bible prophecy when it comes to events in the world are actually narrowed down to the Middle East and to the land of Israel. So whatever happens there is, is affecting, of course, the whole world. Now, the prophetic changes means that some things can change. Some things cannot you see, for example, the things that cannot change are the love of God towards people. That can never change. It will never change. To the last breath even of Jesus on the cross, with all the things that had been done to him, not only by the Romans, but even by his own nation, he never stopped loving them, and even the Father forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And if anything, he's, gonna, he's not going to come back to Salt Lake City <laughs> or to the Philippines. His feet will stand on Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. And he will come back to his own. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you can see that the everlasting life is related to the belief in Christ. However, the love of God is an unchanging thing to the whole world. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Another thing that can never change is the way God communicates his plan to his people. And that, of course, through his word. Not through anything else. Anyone who receives from the Lord something, if it's not in the word of God, it is not from the Lord. Period. There is nothing new that God wants to communicate to you now that he did not before. So the way God communicates his plan to his people, actually to his whole world, but his people are those who pay attention, it's through his word. The Bible says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, and the prophets wrote that in the books of the prophets. And if it's not in the books of the prophets, then I'm not sure they were prophets. Or I'm not sure God is talking about them as those who spoke to the fathers. And he has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Another thing that cannot change, God never sent anyone new 
such as Joseph Smith Jr., nor has he appointed new apostles in the last days. I just told Jan in the green room, Israel is probably more affected by the NAR than any other country I know of. When I talk about Israel having been breached, politically, more than a million people are completely blinded and poisoned and brainwashed, and even spiritually, the church in Israel is sick as a dog when it comes to the NAR and its arms all around it. It's one of those changes you have to get used to because they are biblical. The Bible talks about how, on one hand, Israel will have to be weak enough to be attacked, and of course, worldwide apostasy is part of the game of the very end. Unfortunately, people don't take the word of God literally or seriously. And that's why Bible prophecy is being put aside, and people who enthusiastically teach or study that are being held and mocked as lunatics. Now, we contribute to it when we start jumping from every little star that is in the sky. But we have to remember to stick to the Word of God. And that is the unchanging God. And of course, God and His Word can never change. So we talk about the love of God that can never change. But God Himself and the Word of God cannot change. Now the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Eternal, immortal, invisible. It's the same God. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Isaiah 40, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? James says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of light, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He cannot change. Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're now worshiping a new Lord. Psalm 90, before the mountains were brought forth or, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Psalm 33, the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Psalm 119, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Now, a lot of churches nowadays suggest that God has changed, or at least changed his mind when it comes to Israel. Well, 
I have uh, bad news for them. He did not. <laughs> and the good news is, thank God he did not, or else he could have changed his mind about you. The choice of Israel as God's people cannot and will not change as long as the moon, the stars, and the sun are right there. When they are no longer there, then the people of Israel will no longer stand before God as his people. Jeremiah 31, thus says the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. And, and I have a question for you. When will that happen? That the stars and the moon and the sun will no longer be required to give their light. When will that happen when he will make all things new? You see, there will be a day. That scripture is not just hypothetical. This, this scripture is actually futuristic and prophetic because it will come, there will come a point where he will make all things new. And in that new Jerusalem, there is no Jew or Gentile. There's nothing. Israel is no longer God's people in the new Jerusalem. But until then, they are. If you have a problem with it, talk to him. <laughs> Malachi 3.6, the only Italian that I know in the scriptures. For I am the Lord, I do not change. And look what he says. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Basically, God says to the prophet Mal Malachi, he says, Malachi in Hebrew, by the way, he says to him, listen, the only reason why Israel is not consumed yet, it's because I am God and I do not change. If I spoke about preserving them, and keeping them, and loving them, and fighting for them, then that's going to happen. Now, they may make some bad mistakes and bad choices, and they will suffer from the consequences thereof. But in the picture of my plan for the world and for the nation of Israel, it won't change. Therefore, Israel can never be eliminated, neither by the mullahs nor by their uh, proxies, Hezbollah or others, Israel will stand. And that is a promise. As long as the Lord is there, and he cannot and he will not because he do not change, Israel is not consumed. And even the things that do change are part of the plan of the unchanging God. Isn't that amazing? The judgment of God over the enemies of Israel is something, changes from obviously different nations. But again, for thus says the Lord of hosts, he sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For surely I will shake my hand against them and they shall become spoiled for their servants. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Also the will of God to keep his children informed cannot be changed. You see, God wants all of us to be informed. God doesn't want his children to be in the dark. God is not a God that needs to be advised or needs to be counseled. We're not people that needs God's counsel or advice by walking into a dark room with an ugly old lady that has a crystal ball there and we need to give her some money and then she needs to somehow say something. Sorry, I never met a man that is sitting behind it, but 
Nowadays, I have to say both, I guess. Isaiah 46, 9, 10, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. And then he says, look, I declare, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. And even though the enemies try to stop it, God is in control and will execute His plan to bring Israel back and send the Messiah back to Israel. And Psalm 2 says it's the best. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed Mashiach, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in, the, in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my kings on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. But then let's move to the things that can change. And that is what we're watching right now. And that's what this whole message is all about. And I'm talking about the dynamic nature of the world's political system. It is changing all the time. It is amazing. God weighs each nation on the scales of justice. And when evil is rampant, like it was in Sodom and before the flood, then God will act to put a stop to it. We've seen it in the past. We're wa we've been watching it in, in the near past. And also we see it in the present time. And one of the reasons God wanted the people of Israel to take over the land of Canaan and leave no one alive was because of their wickedness. Wickedness was all over. Young girls were raped as not as a crime but as a practice. Babies were burned alive as a, as a token of worship of Molech. And as they were burned alive, they were playing the drums so loud that the baby, it will overtake the baby's cry. Listen, it was demonic. It was satanic. Deuteronomy 9 Therefore understand today that the Lord your God is He who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and He will bring them down before you. So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord has said to you. Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you saying, Because of my righteousness the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the, or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land. But because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out before you. And that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God is basically doing two things at the same time. Fulfilling his promise to Israel and judging the nations that are so wicked at the same time. 
And apart from the moral justice against the rampant evil, God weighs each nation on the scales also of their actions towards Israel, his people. We know that the Bible is talking about how the Lord will come back and all the nations will be brought down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And how is he going to judge them? He will enter into judgment with them on the account of his people, his heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and they divided also their land. God has shown the Babylonians over and over again how powerful and loving he is. And we're moving now to Daniel. Dr. Jeffers talked about Daniel chapter 2. We'll talk about Daniel 5. And now a new nation would take over and God would work with them through Daniel to show himself to these new people. It's a, it, it was one of the most amazing stories in the Bible. Where Daniel is there, the king is there. Oh, King, the Most High, God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. And then he was driven from the sons of men and his heart was made like the beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys and they fed him with grass like oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over in whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you have your lords and your wives and your concubines, and have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see nor hear or hear or know, and the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. And then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written, and this is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Ufarsin. And this is the interpretation of each word. Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Peres, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Meds and the Persians. You see, the king of the whole world in those days. God himself showed himself to him and said, look at you. You think you rule the world? Well, let me tell you something. You're not. And as you sit here with all of your concubines and wives and drink wine, I'm telling you right now, your days are numbered and your kingdom is about to be divided. Psalm 37, do not fret because of evildoers, nor by envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. 
Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. God says, trust me and I will lift you up. Trust others and you will be pulled down. I want to tell you, go on in Psalm 37 is an amazing psalm that speaks over these things. But I want to tell you, folks, in the last few years, we've been witnessing one of the most amazing and unprecedented set of prophetic changes in the Middle East that is affecting the whole world. And this is, in essence, what I wanted to share. And as hard as it was for the world to fathom the downfall of a great empire such as Assyria and Babylon and others, we must remember, and I want all of you to remember that day that you heard it, you must remember that you have to get ready for the downfall of some major world players even today. You know, when I saw the picture of of the Russian president, the Turkish president, the Iranian president, just from last week, I was thinking to myself, this is a picture of three leaders of three countries that are not going to exist anymore. You know, I was on the Twin Towers the night before they, they were brought down, and I asked, what's going to happen if something's going to hit them? Of course, the FBI wanted to ask me later on, why did you ask that? And they did, by the way. They caught me somewhere in upstate New York before the service. And, but, have you ever been questioned by the FBI, by the way? <laughs> Not nice. But, I do want you to know that I've never seen New York City in my life until that week. And I've never seen those, those buildings in my life until that day. And I've never seen them again until after that day. Now, what the world was used to, having those two buildings, I was not even used to. They were gone just before I got used to them. But my point is, who would believe before 9-11, 2001, that the skyline of New York will not be those two towers? And that's just two towers. You better get used to the fact that countries will be gone. Talking about countries, take a look at what's going on in Iran of today, Persia of the ancient times, there's a dream of a land bridge to Lebanon all the way from Tehran, as you can clearly see, from Tehran all the way across Iran into Iraq, all the way to C. C is the border between Iran and Iraq. You see the letter C? Can you see C? <laughs> Over the last few weeks, Israel bombed repeatedly point C. It's the city of Al-Abu Kamal, on the Syrian-Iraqi border, the Iraqis have allowed the Iranians to build there a massive presence on their way to build that land bridge all the way to Lebanon eventually. Now, Israel is freely, or used to freely, until, let's see who the clown is that is going to enter into the prime minister's office in Israel. But we used to freely operate in the skies of, of Syria and destroy D and E constantly. C was added to the table just a few, a couple months ago. And of course, F, 
is something we've been warning the world that is happening, that Lebanon is allowing Iran to do some things over there. And just a few weeks ago, we sent a few drones to visit. <laughs> the Iranians just shipped a huge piece of equipment um, that's supposed to mix the fuel and prepare it for what we call mis um, precision-guided uh, missiles. It was for the new factory that the Iranians are building in the Bakao of Lebanon. And for a few hours, they left it unattended in the most hostile neighborhood of Beirut. In, in, it's called um, the neighborhood of Hezbollah over there. And um, Israel sent from the Mediterranean. We had a, a vessel that is not even military. That's all you need to know. And two... And two Drones flew all the way, sat on that piece of equipment, and poof, exploded. And by that, we killed their dream to make Lebanon a manufacturing country of those rockets. But we're working relentlessly around. Now, you have to understand, Iran wants to restore its days of the Persian Empire, and Iran wants to be the dominant faction of Islam in the world. They want eventually, not just Jerusalem, but they want Mecca and Medina, and that is the nature of what is happening today between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And the, and the Iranians are operating from Yemen in the south to attack Saudi Arabia, from Iraq in the north, and of course from um, uh, we just learned, also from Iran itself. Just the other day, Aramco, the main uh, oil company of the uh, uh, Saudi Arabian government, was attacked by 19 cruise missiles and drones that were flying from an Iranian base in Iranian territory, and they uh, destroyed and uh, basically damaged half of the daily manufacturing of oil in, in, in Saudi Arabia for that week. What about Libya? The Bible talks about Libya in its uh, name, Put, and uh, the Bible speaks of a civil war, and, and uh, no, the Bible speaks about that country, but we know for now there is a civil war, and it, is, it has become a playground for many, many terrorists. I want you to see that's what Libya looks like today. It has been completely divided between so many different people. ISIS controls part of it. General Haftar, who is a general, by the way, the, the CIA helped uh, um, elevating, but he just crossed the lines uh, just a couple months ago, and now he's actually working with the Russians. But he actually owns most of the oil and the gas fields. Then there is the government that the United Nothing uh, appointed, the UN. And, um, and so you can clearly see there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of different parts there, and everyone wants to reach control, and everyone wants to reach, uh, of course, um, dominance over there. And we know the Bible says that this will be one country that is going to be part of the Ezekiel Wars. What about Saudi Arabia? Well, Saudi Arabia in the Bible is mentioned as and Sheba and Didan. This country, apart from the fact that it's controlling the most holiest site for Islam in the world and used to be the largest exporter of oil until President Donald Trump became the President of the United States of America. 
Today, Saudi Arabia manufactures 10 million barrels a day. America is on its way to pass the 14 million a day. And every crisis in Saudi Arabia is a great opportunity, opportunity to the American market. And so Trump did open some of the, of the um, res reserves and allow oil to flow. But hey, the oil is back to $60 a barrel because the American oil is available and it's cheap and the world wants it. And Saudi Arabia understand that they have no longer real allies left around but the only country in the region that is actually fighting Iran, and that is, of course, Israel. And therefore, the Saudi Arabians lately became great, great uh, friends and emerged this uh, thing out in the open. But that's as long as they trust the person whom they speak to. You understand that? And I want you to know they're not in love with us, but the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and that's exactly what we see right now. What about Russia? Russians are longing to restore the status of an empire. And I'm not talking about the Soviet Union. That, these are not the days they want to remember. They actually want to remember the days of the Tsar. But I would like to direct you to an incident that happened on July 23rd, this year at the Marriott Marquis in Washington, D.C., Trump got pranked while he was speaking to the Turning Point USA Teen Student Action Summit. And one of those uh, liberals changed the emblem of the president from the eagle, and that is holding, of course, um, um, something else than golf. Uh, uh, you see, what they, look what they did. They took, they took this, that holds the arrows, 13 arrows, and look what they put behind the president. Stash of dollars on one side and golf clubs on the other side, and they put two-headed eagle. And that is, of course, to somehow imply that Trump works for the Russians. Why? Because the two-headed eagle has been something that was running. By the way, it was running for the longest time. You go back 13th century BC, the Hittites already engraved two-headed eagle on stones. The Byzantine Empire used it for more than a thousand years. And while the Byzantines didn't have an official coat of arms, the double-headed eagle appeared on the emperor's clothes and coins symbolizing unity. They wanted to emphasize that the empire united both east and west under its wings, and the eagle has two heads, but just one body. All the nations associating themselves with the double-headed eagle inherited this from the Byzantium or the Byzantine, uh, and, and I'm talking about countries uh, um, such as Serbia, Albania, Montenegro, and others. All of their coat of arms are all with the double-headed eagle. But the reason why they pulled that prank on President Trump is because they wanted him to somehow look like he works for the Russians. And it's interesting because people do not hide it anymore, that they want to think that President Putin will become once again a czar and no longer just a president. In fact, all over the world, they started making him look like one in the major media outlets. This is in The Economist. This is in The Time magazine. 
Just for the pictures, I would bomb them. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't want my picture to look like that over there. But I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if you know that, but there is a group in Russia called the Double-Headed Eagle Group. It's a group that is dedicated to restoring the Russian monarchy, named after a symbol of Russia's coat of arm, and that group is flourishing. The number of regional branches grew by almost half this year to more than 50. Started in 2016, the group says it wants to enlighten people about Russia's pre-Soviet past and resurrect Russian traditions, and it is trying to bring back Tsarist-era names of towns and streets, and well, as well as the monarchy. Mr. Malofeyev, one of their founders, says we are a very paternalistic society, adding that Russians are returning to their historical roots Lieutenant General Leonid Rashetnikov said, a one-time member of the Soviet Union's Foreign Intelligence Service, who is now a deputy chairman of the Double-Headed Eagle, he said he had a conversation about monarchy last year with Mr. Putin. And he wasn't thrown away. Putin actually smiled. Persia wants to be the Persian Empire, Iran. Russia wants to be the Russian Empire with a czar. There's another country called Sudan. The Bible calls it Kush, and some Bibles take Kush and translate it to Ethiopia. It's not correct, by the way. But the Sudan is now a country that it just had a coup. Um, but we know that it, it has been flirting between, you know, between Russia and Turkey, and we can clearly see how the Turkish president uh, came to uh, make sure that his interests are being kept over there. In fact, Sudan has a peninsula right across from Saudi Arabia, and Turkey wants, Turkey purchased it, bought it, so they will tell the Saudi Arabians, we are the true Sunni leader of the Islamic world, and we are just a couple miles away from you to cross that bay. Turkey, speaking of this guy on the right, is longing to restore the Ottoman Empire, and uh, look what the Guardian called the Turkish president, from reformer to new sultan, Erdogan's populist evolution. Erdogan bought, he, he, he basically built in uh, Ankara, a palace with more than a thousand rooms. Amazing. This man, he, he's now with his back to the wall because the financial situation in Turkey is so bad, he's not gaining any control and any, any good ground in, 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 by helping the rebels in Syria right now. They trusted him and he's not there. But I want you to see what he said just about um, last year, Jerusalem is my top priority, and I want you to know what was written just two months ago in the daily news of Turkey. Nearly a century ago, the Turkish government asked the British government not to allow the restoration of the caliphate where anywhere in the imperial British lands, particularly not in Jerusalem. Today, 
restoring the caliphate in the personality of the Ottomanist Turkish Sultan sounds like a music to many Turkish ears, especially if the throne should be restored in Turkish-controlled what? Jerusalem. Ladies and gentlemen, we, we see him saying what he says, we see him doing what he's doing, but his eyes are fixed on Jerusalem because for him, if I want to restore the caliphate, if I want to be the ruler of the Muslim world, obviously I cannot take over Mecca and Medina, but my goal is Jerusalem. And that explains why he's honing the sword right now. For the moment, he will be able to use it. He's waiting. By the way, you know who is the first president that was clapping for the loss of Netanyahu in these elections? Erdogan. As far, as long as Benjamin Netanyahu was in power, he couldn't do anything. Now he, under, he smells blood. He can see whatever and whoever is going to sit on, in, on that chair of the Israeli Prime Minister's office will not be as strong. Ladies and gentlemen, Hezbollah was happy. Iran is happy. Ilhan Omar is happy. If you're here, I know you're happy. <laughs> it's her state. Um, and Syria has become the playground of all the Ezekiel players. Syria is not even mentioned in Ezekiel. But all of those players are right there inside Syria. And all they do when they sit together, and you can see the picture, they sit together. You don't even see the Syrian flag there because they could care less about Syria. They sit there and they discuss Syria when the Syrian flag is not there. When the Syrian people are not even in, of any interest, they sit there to carve the old uh, remains of Syria. What about the Europeans? They keep committing mass suicide. I mean, I'm, I'm being, uh, this is a, a uh, not exactly real suicide, but it's spiritual and it is also economical one. Despair and longing for a real leader. All across Europe, I'm traveling in Europe, they are bankrupt and they are confused and they don't even know what to do anymore. We've heard from this pulpit more than once what the Europeans say, that they will accept anyone, whether it's God or the devil, as long as he will be able to bring them out of it. The United Kingdom is coming to be separated from Europe and standing on the side of Europe, watching it falling down. Who knows what's going to happen to it, but another great change is happening. And ladies and gentlemen, one of the greatest changes I've ever seen in my lifetime as an Israeli that was born, as a Jew that was born in Jerusalem, as the first generation of my country, of my nation, being born in my land, of my family, it, the, the change that happened within the American administration regarding Israel. We're talking about, look at the United States and look what happened, pulling out of the Iran deal, recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, recognizing the Golan Heights as integral part of Israel, uh, allowing Israel to even say that it will annex parts of the West Bank and not condemning it at all. The deal of the century, and I tell you up front, as long as Netanyahu was in office, the deal of the century was supposed not to include even a single evacuation of a single Israeli from any place, anywhere, 
I betcha they might be updating their plans right now. God knows. That's what Netanyahu tried to tell the Israelis, that the deal of the century is around the corner. Who do you want to negotiate for you? But they're so blinded, given to the lie. As Deuteronomy 32 verse 15 says, And Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. They're so spoiled that they start kicking right now. And I fear, and I hope I'm wrong, but unfortunately, uh, well, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that it's not going to happen to you next year. I hope that a miracle will keep this president in power for four more years. Israel. From a nation that all of its neighbors hated and wanted to destroy every single day. All the neighbors, Jordan, Egypt, Lebanon, Syria, all of them. It's a nation that has peace with two of them. One of them does not exist anymore. And the other one knows that they cannot do much to us. Ladies and gentlemen, Israel is now the eighth strongest, eighth most strongest country in the world. And that happened in the last decade. And God used Benjamin Netanyahu to achieve that. From the days where they said, come let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel will be remembered no more. We are now at the verge of Ezekiel 38, a chapter that describes Israel as such a place that is safe and secure. And most of, most of it is prosperous because this war is not about the name of Israel. This war is not about politics. This war is not about anything but financial gain. In 1948, we could only give them hummus and falafel. Today, <laughs> look what they can get from us. And may I say what I see happening in Israel today. God used Benjamin Netanyahu to bring Israel to that level that everybody wants to be its friends and everybody is keeping their eyes on what Israel has. The day is coming, if he's no longer the prime minister, that those who have their eyes on what we have will have the guts to try to take what we have. I always say in the last two days that strong Israel, <laughs> strong Israel causes Russia to want what it has. Weak Israel causes Russia to take what it has. The advance from the north towards Israel is already completed. Folks, I want you to see what happened in the world in the last few years. Look at planet Earth right now, and I want you to take a look at Ezekiel 38 in action. First of all, you had to bring Russia, Turkey, and Iran into Syria. Phase one is completed. They're right there parking at our, right our border. Then all of the Ezekiel people will eventually have to merge powers and come and strike. And that is only when Israel is weak. Stage one, phase one, fulfilled. You've been witnessing within your lifetime not only the prophecy of the return of the Jews to their land, you also witnessed how we prosper and do well, and now you've also witnessed the fulfillment of phase one in the vicious plan of the enemy to eventually come and invade into Israel. And what about the Palestinians that everybody loved to 
say that they are the real owners. Well, I think one of the greatest things that happened with the President of the United States of America right now is that the Palestinian hoax is exposed. I want to remind you of what happened before. Records show that it was 19th and 20th century Jewish settlement and the resulting employment opportunities that drew successive waves of Arabs immigrants to Palestine of those days. The Arab population shows a remarkable increase, partly due to the import of Jewish capital into Palestine and other factors associated with the growth of the Jewish national home. Who wrote that? The UN in 1937. In Jewish settlement, Rishon LeZion, founded in 1882, by the year 1889, the 40 Jewish families settled there had attracted more than 400 Arab families. Many other Arab villages had sprouted in the same fashion. Who wrote it? Joan Peters from Time Immemorial, page 252. The British Prime Minister Winston Churchill said in 1939, far from being uh, persecuted, the Arabs have crowded into that country. They have crowded into, not out of, not they were not there, they came into that country. Ladies and gentlemen, this is one of the biggest deception of the world. And it's being exposed, exposed. Before the Six-Day War in 1967, when Jordan controlled the West Bank and Egypt ruled in Gaza, there was never any suggestion on the part of Palestinians that they wanted independence in their ancestral homeland. And the reason was that the Palestinian nation hadn't been invented yet. In fact, before the State of Israel was born, the term Palestinian was used by the Jews to refer themselves as their and their organizations like the Palestine Post, which is the Jerusalem Post of today, the Palestine Foundation Fund, the Palestine Airways, and the Palestine Symphony Orchestra, which is today this Philharmonic of Israel. We first hear of Arabs referred to as Palestinians when Egypt's president Nasser, with the help from the Russian KGB, established the Palestine Liberation Organization in 1964. It was only during the 70s that the newly minted Palestinians began to promote their narrative through murder and assassination, and the Arabs have justified their attacks and acts all over. Did they get Jerusalem? No. Right of return? No. Borders? No. The United Nations Relief and Work Association is being unfunded by the president. Independent statehood? No. Prosperity? No. Peace? No. Future? No. Everything they hope for is no. In fact, we see the great exchange. Every day, 400 Palestinians immigrate out of Gaza all the way to Egypt and, and to Turkey and into Europe. They no longer want to take part of what is going on over there. And as we see them leaving, the immigration into Israel due to the prosperity and relatively peace in Israel is now skyrocketing. The great exchange. The world is moving forward exactly as God told us it would. Prophetic changes are foretold. Just as the plan of God is evolving around Israel, so will the stance of the believer on Israel be tested. Ladies and gentlemen, there's two parallels, and I've always said that all of my life. There is the prophetic plan of God on one side, and then there is your life decision on the other side. 
The plan of God will never change. You can stop the Antichrist or try to stop the Antichrist. He will rise. But your decision, whether you belong to Christ or not, your decision today will not affect or derail the plan of God for the world, but it will affect your location and your role tomorrow. The Middle East is ready. The world is ready with lawlessness all over. The collapse of biblical code for gender, family, and nationality. The question is, are you ready? Romans 13 will conclude with this. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in reverie and drunkenness and lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Father, we thank you so much. For your word, your word is truth, and we want to be sanctified by your truth. Father, we thank you that we are the only generation that can see those changes happening, that Bible prophecy is in full gear, that you have allowed us that privilege of seeing the nation of Israel back in the land, prospering like never before, and yet now we even see how they grew fat and kick in preparation for the soon invasion into that country country, by all those enemies that are already on our borders. Father, we ask that in these last days, you will use us to wake up the sleeping world, the sleeping church, the sleeping homes, sleeping families, to wake us up. This is the right time to awake out of sleep, for now indeed the salvation of our body is nearer than when we first believe, and the rapture of the church is just around the corner. Thanks for listening to this podcast featuring Amir Sarfati, founder and president of Behold Israel. Connect with Behold Israel on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Download our free app available on Android and Apple under Behold Israel. Amir's teachings can be found in multiple languages. You can also visit our website, beholdisrael.org.